Welcome to our spooky podcast, The Monster in My Closet. I am one of your hosts, Jen. And I'm your other host, Tamara. And today we are going to talk about exorcisms. But before we do that, we always got to check in. So how's everything going in your world? Oh, you know, it's great. It's lovely. It's great over here. (laughs) (laughs) Just crocheting. Just crocheting. (laughs) Um, Let's see. In my world, I have read, I think I told you, seven books so far this year. Um, so I'm a little bit on a reading like streak mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't know if anybody's ever read Ivan the one and only, I mean, it's a kid's book. It's supposed to be a children's book. It is, it is not very, I'm not going to let my kids read that. Like it's a bit much. Um, it's got some like sad parts, but like at one point it starts talking about dismembering gorillas. Yeah. It totally does. And uh, it's like a very small part. But um, but yeah, so I had to deal with that today. Um, reading, and I say reading, listening to that on my audiobook. So it was uh, quite interesting. And I was texting my cousin and was like, why on earth is this a kid's book? <laughs> like, this should not be a children's book. So. I have not read it. I wouldn't recommend it wouldn't recommend it granted i haven't gotten to the end yet but it's so far pretty like depressing as a book in general is it like a picture book or like a no it's like a chapter book like a kid's chapter book okay um and it's it's about this gorilla that lives in a mall um that's it's like a a mall circus type it's called the big top mall um so he lives and he's the only one that lives there and he lives there with an elephant, um, and a dog, like a stray, um, that just randomly found his way into his enclosure, his domain, as he calls it. And then, um, another dog, a poodle that, um, that jumps on the back of the elephant as part of his, like, uh, show or as part of the show. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sad. Um, cause baby elephant comes in, but guess what happens to the other elephant? <sighs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I was so ticked. I already don't like it, so. I was like, I was, I was texting my cousin and I was like, this is so dumb. Like, this is going to happen in a children's book? And she's just like, yeah, it's pretty depressing. But it's a good ending. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay. Well, I'm 75% of the way in so and it's pretty depressing. It. Yes, she read it with her son. Yeah. I was like, did you know what it was about? Like, did you know this stuff was happening when you read it? But I'm doing it as part of the book challenge, so it works. But yeah, so that's what I've been dealing with today. And if y'all hear tippy tapping, that is because Arthur, my pug, does not like that we are recording. We should get him socks. I've thought of that. I thought of getting him shoes and it doesn't work very well. Like, he doesn't even like his, like, his nails need to be clipped, and he turns into a psychopath. Didn't he just get them clipped? No, he was going to get them clipped last week, and then there was a whole scheduling issue and all that stuff, and so we didn't get them clipped. Um, So he still needs them clipped, and he turns into a complete psychopath when we try to do it. Um, He'll be all, like, chill one minute, and then all of a sudden you would think that we're trying to, like, 
murder him. There's this show that I'm watching. I just started it, so I don't know how many years, like, behind I am. Because mm-hmm. um, it was just, like, the next suggested show. And I was like, okay, cool. And I just started watching it. And in the very first episode, one of the... It's a reality show, so, mm-hmm. like, real people. But one of the first... Um, Think, like, you introduce this person, and then, like, at the end of the episode, her house catches on fire. Yeah. Um, so she, like, leaves the party that they're at and, like, runs home to go take care of it. And um, she's still kind of freaked out. They were all kind of drink, like, they were all drinking heavily because yeah. it was supposed to be, like, girls' night out. Yeah. Um, so all of the friends are just kind of like, I don't really know what to do. Is this real? Is this <laughs> actually happening? And at one point, she hands the leash to her dog to one of her friends while yeah. she goes to check on her son and her husband because, yeah. like, it was her son's room that caught on fire and her husband tried to put the fire out and he ended up burning himself. Oh. Um, so she goes to check on them and just like, and she's like, well, what should we do? Should we pick him up? She's like, no, he's crazy. And just like <laughs> walks off. And then later they don't listen because they're drunk women and yeah. like go to pick up the dog. And it's like, I think it's a Boston Terrier or yeah, a pug yeah. or something. And it's just rah, 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 rah. <laughs> she's like, okay, I'm going to put it back down. <laughs> and then it's like I'm telling the girl's you. like all stressed out. So she ends up getting in the ambulance and riding to the hospital with her husband and her son. And they're like, what do we do with the crazy dog? <laughs> Speaking of crazy dog, I think um, when it was coming out, um, we had talked about going and seeing it. But Slother House. Okay. Like, do you remember that? It's like the killer sloth in the I sorority house. I remember this. I think I think it was one of those things where I like pointed it out, and I don't know if you actually like registered that I was pointing it out, um, but it's about a killer sloth. Okay. Um, and it went to theaters, like it was in theaters. It is so ridiculous. It's not as bad as Velocipaster, <laughs> but but it's a bit ridiculous. So um, it was quite interesting, quite interesting. But yeah, fun times, fun times. But that's, you know, checking so that's in. Our, uh, that's our light, our light <laughs> yeah. for this episode. Yes. And so today we're going to be focused on exorcism. So last week we talked about the Amityville Horror, which I still have problems with that. So let's kind of reinstate this. The Amityville Horror. And, um, and we talked about how there was a concern with potential demonic activity. And so we were like, exorcisms. Let's talk exorcisms. So... I am going to start with some very interesting information on the history of exorcisms. And I think I told you, I didn't really find a whole lot on the different cultures. I know that there is casting evil spirits out in multiple cultures, but they're not called exorcisms. But they're the same kind of idea. So, and also just so you know, there has been an increase in exorcisms has been as noted by like different religions and denominations since the turn of the century so it's been increased like the requests for exorcisms have been increasing this is based on an article in bbc by in 2018 so in 2018 they were talking about hey exorcisms we need more in 2017 pope francis actually said hey y'all don't uh, hesitate to reach out to the vatican for exorcisms because we know there's stuff going on. So I'm like, oh, that's that's great. That's great. You want to fill us in on that stuff, Pope? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what do you know that we don't? Is this going to be another alien thing? Where it's like, by the way, aliens exist, but, you know, you're too busy with COVID to, to react to the fact that aliens actually exist. Which I found that was funny, too. Mm-hmm. That, like, during that whole thing, everybody was watching, you know, Joe Exotic and all that stuff. And they're like, by the way, aliens are real. 
And people like, yeah, are just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, people are like, okay, fine, but Carol Baskins, <laughs> we need to deal with that. But exorcism is considered a prayer or ritual that is meant to remove the influence of the demonic evil power over a person. And it's usually associated with the Catholic Church. He said the Roman Catholic Church and with Christianity. So with Christianity, the earliest known exorcism was in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus cast out the demon from a a man, from a person. Um, And that was in AD 70 is when Mark... Um, the Gospel of Mark was written, which I didn't even know that, which was about 40, a little less than 40 years after Jesus died. And it, like I said, it was the first mention of that. But it also, the Bible mentions possessions of animals, too. Mm-hmm. Well, in one of the, I guess, exorcisms that mm-hmm. he did, it left the person and went into the... The pigs. The... What are those? What, it's a whole bunch of pigs. Flock of pigs. It's not a flock of pigs. It's not a flock of pigs. That's what you're <laughs> it is. That might be like flying pigs. That's a herd. A yeah, a herd of pigs. No. Is it a herd of know. pigs? What is a group of pigs called? I'm going to look that up. Here we go. But it went into them and then ran off a cliff. Yes. So. I remember that. Yes. And that one was the one that was legion, right? I feel like, okay, what? what is a group of pigs called? It is called a drift or a drove. So a, a, a drift of pigs or a drove of pigs. Drifts like griffins? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, or like, I don't know. Drift or drove. And that's what a group of pigs is called. So in addition to exorcism, you're learning new things about groups of animals. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the earliest known exorcisms. And the Bible, like uh, like we said, talks about possession of animals also. They can cast out into animals. And in 1526, Martin Luther actually, you know, and you know the story of Martin Luther, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of <laughs> did not like the way things were going with the Catholic Church and decided to make a list, little bit of a statement. Yes, mm-hmm. um, by nailing it to the front of the church, like to the doors of the church, and created Protestantism, Mm -hmm. which is the reason that Ireland and Northern Ireland don't get along, Mm -hmm. is because of the Catholics and the Protestants, which, by the way, there was still segregation in Northern Ireland up until recently. It's a stout. (laughs) (laughs) What is it supposed to be? It's going to be a unicorn. Okay. Okay. I asked Ember last night, sorry. I just made this, the, this part. And yeah. I was like, so what do you think, Amber? Does it look like a unicorn? And this is just the body. And so there's no arms or heads or yeah. legs or anything. And she was like, she just looked at me. And she was like, not yet. <laughs> I, like, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> so for those of you that didn't get to see that, Tamara took what she is making in crochet and put it on her nose as though it was her snout. <laughs> so... But Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation 1517 because he was frustrated with Catholicism. I think a lot of people get frustrated with that, actually. And in 1526, he actually added exorcism to baptismal rites. Originally, he wanted to he wanted to have exorcisms done prenatally originally. And the gynecologists or the OB-GYNs, which they weren't called that back then, but, you know, the midwives probably were like, no, no, that is not safe. And it kind of alienated him from everybody. And so Mm -hmm. he was like, all right, you're right. Let's do it to babies instead. So there were, (laughs) 
<laughs> there were infant exorcisms that happened, and it was to help the baby reject the devil's sins and evil throughout their lifetime. So it wasn't casting out a demon, it was more evil in general. So Catholicism really focused on casting out demons and evil spirits, whereas Protestantism really focused on evil across the lifespan, when that was the goal of it. So Protestant exorcisms were typically conducted through prayer and fasting within the community, and honestly, it kind of bordered on performance. And so it's actually referenced, like, the... It fell out of style, like, in the 1600s, because people were, like, over it. They were done. But it's referenced in the plays of King Lear and Twelfth Night. So you can see there where that where it kind of left its mark there in literature. So it kind of fizzled out in the 1600s. It's really pretty quiet between that and the early 1900s. Like, typically. Mm-hmm. I think they had a lot more stuff going on. Yeah. Basically. And then the early 1900s, the evangelicals prompted the revival for exorcism. And guess, guess what denomination it was? What Protestant denomination it was? That was bringing back these exorcisms and these... What? It was Pentecostals. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and then, like, it makes me think back to Azusa Street, because that happened in the 1920s. And, like, the revival and all that stuff with the Pentecostal movement. And so there was speaking in tongues. Exorcism, exorcisms had high-energy appeal. Like, it was theatrical, basically, that this stuff was happening. Kind of what happened um, back in Martin Luther's time. And so Catholic exorcisms continued. They just weren't as well-known. And as prevalent as the Protestant ones. So Protestant ones were happening a lot more through that Pentecostal movement. Well, and for the longest time, the Catholic Church was really hesitant to do exorcisms. Right. Especially because there's, like, with the advent of the field of psychology with Freud and, you know, Parsons and things like that. And I think Parsons was more school school counseling. But... But with the knowledge coming from the psychological side, there began to be questions of, is it really demonic or is it mental illness? Mm-hmm. Which I know we're going to do another show on exorcisms. And I'm, I have a new book called Demonic Foes about a psychiatrist that, that worked in exorcisms, like helped with exorcisms and helped diagnose them and stuff like that. Well, and I feel like a psychiatrist is going to be very hesitant to say, no, this doesn't seem like a psychological thing. Right. This this seems like something spiritual. Yeah, yeah. And if y'all hear humming, by the way, just FYI, that's the ice machine. My husband got me a, a crunchy sonic ice machine. And so it's making wonderful, delicious ice. Um, who knew frozen water would be this delicious? But just FYI, that's what that is. <laughs> But that so that happened in the early 1900s. By the 1960s and 70s, the charismatic Christians started bringing it in. And so, charismatic Christians weren't Pentecostal, but they had adopted kind of the Pentecostal worship style and they performed exorcisms around the US, Africa, and Latin America. So, they went around to all the world basically trying to exorcise all the demons. And then in 1971, William Peter Blatley's novel, based on, and I think this is what you're going to talk about, the 14-year-old that experienced Catholic exorcisms in 1949 mm-hmm. in Maryland and, and um, Missouri, mm-hmm. it started gaining popularity in 1971, and it is what the movie The Exorcism is based on, mm-hmm. and it's it's called The Exorcism. So, And so the book was published in 1971, and then the movie in 1973, which I think we had mentioned on a previous podcast, we had kind of talked about that. 
And if not, then I've, I've just gone crazy and it's fine. I also found a really interesting article that talked about the Judaic and Christian exorcisms because exorcisms are typically related to Christianity, but there are Judaic ones as well. Mm-hmm. And it, I went down a rabbit hole with this because it was super fascinating. The most ancient treatment for dissociative disorders, which include like dissociative identity disorder and just dissociative disorders, were exorcisms. So that was like the most ancient treatment to deal with it. Cross-culturally, typically the symptoms are similar. Like their dissociation appears across all of them. And I loved this article that I read because it actually was talking to therapists. So I was like, oh, this is so cool. I love this. This is awesome. And so some patients concurrently get therapy while requesting an exorcism. So they're doing both. And I'm like totally down with that because... It's showing that they're saying this could be a mental thing, but we're also going to cover the spiritual just in case, which I like a lot. I thought that was really interesting. But both Judaic and Christian exorcisms have seven things in common. So the first is their special diagnostic criteria. Um, The use of incantation, prayers, scripture, music, things like that. Like everything in pop culture, though, doesn't have music. It has like creepy music, Mm -hmm. but it never actually integrates music. So I thought that was interesting. The use of sacred objects, physical interventions, like restraining them physically, mm-hmm. verbal confrontation with the spirit, the like some form of aftercare, because in the, even in the Bible, it talks about how the person got exercised and then they came back like a few months later, or a year later or something, and, he, and even more demons had come in and taken over because they hadn't had aftercare. So, Well, that's interesting from like a Reiki perspective, mm-hmm. because when... I'm doing Reiki, if there's ever, like, a cord that somebody has, the cord needs to be removed, you have to put a whole bunch of Reiki on it, remove the cord, and then fill it with Reiki again, because you can't leave it as a void. or Empty, like, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, like, that's interesting. that they, they can feel the void and come back to it. Yeah, yeah. So it's super interesting that they were, like, some form of aftercare, and then supportive community for the exorcist. Mm-hmm. So, like, they know that this is dangerous for them, mm-hmm. and they want to bring in a supportive community so that, you know, nothing happens to them. Mm-hmm. And so... And they don't do it on their own. At least in, in, the, in the stories and things that I've seen. Like, it's never just one person there doing the exorcism. There's always right. multiple priests um, or just a supportive community around, whether it's priests or monks or nuns, or I shouldn't put my arms on the table and do that. It's going to make you bonk and sound. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's extremely dangerous for the exorcist as yes. well. Yes. And there are certain things... Like, exorcisms now, especially, have extensive testing to rule out physical or mental concerns. Mm -hmm. Because, like, aggression, uncontrollable weeping, screaming, altered states of consciousness, inability to sleep, bizarre eating disorders, obscene language, superhuman strength, revulsion against symbols of social value, agitation, somatic symptoms. Those are all things that could be associated with. Like psychological things. Yeah, psychological, physical, things like that. But then there's also like levitation, mm-hmm. increased heaviness, mm-hmm. telekinesis, telepathy, and speaking in tongues, which is all a little different. But yeah. it's evident that these are these practices are coming in more and more now, that they're really trying to suss out if it's actually like a demonic influence mm-hmm. or if it's if it's not, if it's more like like easily explained mm-hmm. when well, um, I was reading or I was listening to something as well that said that even if it is something demonic just because it is something demonic that 
is needing to be taken apart from a person. It can be, there's like multiple levels. And it's not until you get to like the fourth level is it actually like a possession that requires an exorcism. Yeah. But there's like attachments and, and yes. like oppressions and things like that. That's like levels that you go through. Yeah. And you might like a, a particular priest that was speaking about it had said that he does thousands of different types of cleansings yeah. every year. But he's probably only ever done 12 exorcisms in his life. Yeah. Because it's really hard to get to that last level, yes. especially if you have someone there trying to intervene and do something. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is evident in, like, shows like Evil, Paramount Plus, or the Pope's Exorcist movie, mm-hmm. where they're bringing that stuff in mm-hmm. more and more. And then in the Ghost Adventures we watched last mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. where, can't remember her name, it's the woman preacher that's, mm-hmm. like... Isn't her name Mary? Is it Mary? Sister Mary or something? I think it's Sister Mary. I don't know. Um, but she's she was like, mm, yeah, it's getting to that possession level. And I'm like, okay. So there are different levels mm-hmm. there that she's mm-hmm. talked about. But but something also that I want to bring up before I before I stop talking. Because this like this article that I read is super interesting, but I kind of want to integrate some of it into the next episode mm-hmm. with the information about, you know, psychiatry and how that happened there. But what I want to bring up is that Orthodox Jewish traditions use shimras to keep the demon Lilith from harming children. And I will actually post that in the group. But I want to show you what this looks like. It's it's like a hand. And actually, I think it talks about it in this article. It talks about exactly what it is. A better way to describe it than I am right now because I am not very good at describing it. But it's a talisman. It's inscribed upon it the names of the Shaddai the Watcher of Israel, Elijah, and the Patriarchs, and the angels Michael and Gabriel. And it's in a hand to drive away evil spirits. So I'm going to show you this picture, and I'll post it in the group. But this is actually what a shimra looks like. And so that's a talisman they use in Judaic exorcisms. And the reason that I mention that is because the Jewish people, and if I'm wrong, guys, if somebody out there is of the Jewish faith and I'm wrong, please message me and correct me because I'm doing this from my own understanding of what I've read. But the Jewish people don't actually believe in, they don't believe that Satan is a fallen angel. They believe that Satan is part of the court of God and is the prosecutor for man. And they mention this in, in the book of Job, and if you look at the book of Job, it's almost like he is a prosecutor for Job and for man. And it makes sense. And that Lilith was actually the first um, evil spirit, or Dybbuk, and that was actually the bad thing. And then there's a new book out that's called Lilith that talks about Lilith being Lilith being the first wife of Adam, and that Eve came and Lilith became that demon and there's also lots of religions out there that don't view Lilith as a bad person either Lilith okay. has been feared as a goddess and like a protector of women and interesting mm-hmm. so that so that's it's just interesting because like in Christianity they're trying to cast out the devil mm-hmm. versus in Judaism it seems like they're trying to cast out evil spirits so it's just interesting how all of it kind of works together and so then it calls into question you know what is it, it really, like, goes down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. with who, like, who is Lucifer in religions? Like, who, who, how does this actually play into it? Um, and is some of this based on perception? Like, I'm curious about that, too. So, but I will, I will give you 
the mic now. Well, and I did also want to mention, too, something that I learned. And you might have mentioned this, and it was, well, it was counting. Um, but exorcisms, a lot of times in movies, are portrayed as, we're about to have a really long night. And they go yeah. in, and they do this 15 or 30 minute thing. And now the, now the baby or the person, a child or whatever, has been exercised. But yeah. actually, exorcisms can take days or yeah. weeks or months or even, in some cases, years. Yeah. Um, which I, I didn't. I didn't know. I thought they they were the like what you see, you know. Yeah. So yeah, the theatrical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of the history of exorcisms. Started with the Gospel of Mark, and Protestants kind of took it from there after they got sick of Catholicism, and Pentecostals picked it up in the early 1900s, and then Charismatic Christians kind of picked it up from there, and they've gained some prevalence now. And I'm going to be talking about the exorcism of Roland Doe. His actual name is Roland Hunkeler. But because he was a minor at the time all this was happening, they protected his identity and called him Roland Doe in the press. Hunkler? Hunkler. Okay. And did you mention, I know you, you mentioned it when you were talking, did you say that this is when it started to become kind of sensationalized again or started to come back into pop culture or did you say this was like the first one in America? No. So it started to come back into pop culture at that point because of William Peter Blatley's novel in 1971 based on it. Right. So one of the bishops that was helping Roland Doe, his name was Raymond J. Bishop. Oh, I thought the way you said it, I was like, am I supposed to guess? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to (laughs) try. His name was Raymond J. Bishop, and he documented everything in a journal. And he kept very clear notes thinking that when people come across this again, or if his case continues on, there's this hard set of notes. And this document was found and started to be publicized. And that's what the author found. And he based his book off of that, which then turned into the movie with some with some changes. Yeah. To so, make it more Hollywood eyes, probably. Yeah, right. And so what happened is the real story. So Roland Edwin Hunkler uh-huh. was born in 1935. He was an only child to his German Lutheran parents. Okay. They were. He was born in Cottage City, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And when he turned 13 is when all of this started, he started his, he lost his aunt Tilly, his aunt Harriet. Okay. Well, one thing I read said Harriet. One thing said like Mathilda or Mahilda or something. I don't remember. Aunt Tilly. Is is Tilly like a thing for Harriet though? Like why would that be a nickname for somebody named Harriet? That's interesting. Okay. All right. But Tilly Tilly died. He was very close to his aunt Tilly. Okay. And she was a spiritualist mm-hmm. and often used a Ouija board. And when oh. Roland was interested in it, she showed him how to do it. And it's reported that after she passes away, things start to happen in their home. And Roland tries to contact her using Easy. a Ouija board. So, and that's funny because we talked about the Ouija board mm-hmm. and how Reagan in the movie was mm-hmm. playing with the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it turned bad but now there's like some truth to it yeah okay so it's not just pop culture so he believes he's talking to his aunt tilly and activity starts to ramp up even more there start to be noises from within the walls to the extent that his his father hires an exterminator to come and look in the walls to see there has to be something in there yeah and they clean bill bill of health nothing there it's all good 
Interesting. And then things start to ramp up even more. Mm-hmm. Furniture starts moving. Objects are, are moving. When when Roland will walk through a room, the furniture moves away from him. And then he starts to hear marching around his bed and like drums around his bed. And one night, and he's starting to get scared. Yeah. Right? And one night his mom comes in there and just asks, Tilly, is that you? If it's you, knock three times. Yeah. And they hear three knocks from within the wall. Yeah. So then they just think it's Tilly and they let it, and he feels a little bit better and they go about the day. But things yeah. keep starting to get worse. And he starts to act strangely. He starts yeah. to like act out, basically. Yeah. He's acting out in school. He's He's not really being himself. He starts to have kind of these tantrums, which are not okay. really... Normal for a 13-year-old boy to be having. Right, a 13, yeah. almost 14-year-old boy to be having. Yeah. Right? You're, you're growing out of it at that point. But he's always kind of been this troublesome child, so he's always just written off as he's a high-strung boy, just boys will be boys kind right. of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now he's starting to get scared again, and his parents don't know what to do about it, and they know something is wrong. Like, the way that a parent knows, they know something is wrong. Right. So they go to their pastor, and he decides to bring him into his own home to observe him overnight. Yeah. So he goes and he spends the night at the pastor's house. The pastor's wife sleeps in the guest room, and they put a cot inside the pastor's room so that he can watch him all night long. Okay. And as he's watching him, like, shortly after they go to bed, the bed starts shaking. So he's watching it, and then he watches the blanket be pulled off of him, which, like... You're gonna. You can tell if something's being kicked off, or if you're being like the blanket's being pulled off, right? So then he has him get out of the, the bed and go and sleep in a recliner that's in the room. Okay. And then shortly after that, like Roland, you know, falls back asleep, and they start hearing noises again. Right. And furniture's moving around, like the lamp I think tips over, and then the chair tips over. Oh. With Roland still in it, and he goes falling out of the chair. Oh wow. So then he just puts the mattress directly on the floor mm-hmm. and is watching him, and the this mattress again is is shaking in a way that he that he said there's no way this small thirteen year old boy can't be doing this. Right. He can't. Yeah. It's on the floor. There's nothing to grab and shake. Yeah. And he starts seeing everything fly around the room, and he immediately tells the family that yeah. this is out of his realm, mm-hmm. and they need to seek a Catholic priest. Okay. So they contact some some priests, and they they start talking about exorcism. Yeah. So they come in to watch him, and they are watching the bed lifting up and falling. Yeah. They're hearing him speak strangely. They're at, they're watching his his temper tantrums. They're what they can still kind of be deemed as. Now, I have a question mm-hmm. before we go any further because it's, you know, it popped into my head. How, as a physician, do you get to a point, like, where is the line there that you're like, you should call a priest? Well, like, he was he was a pastor. Oh, he was a pastor. Yeah. That's yeah, right. He was okay. A pastor. Okay. So, as these priests come in, they come, and then they start to notice that a lot of times they'll come in and Roland seems just fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. They're like, well, maybe th- we'll just say a prayer and we'll go about our, our way. And as soon as they would leave, things would start happening. There was a like a crucifix that they had on the nightstand that went flying off the thing. The pictures of Christ that they had on the walls would either turn upside down or shatter, get thrown from the walls, things like that. The Bible would go flying off the nightstand. And one night after they left, it was a particularly active time that they were there. And yeah. he says, he has them, and I might be mixing this up a little bit, but he has them open the window because he said like he's he's mouthing that like something he's about to be sick and he tells him to open the window and the priest that's a normal thing to happen the vomiting is is your body's reaction to the demon trying to leave yeah and they open the window so the demon has somewhere to go and Roland vomits and then he calms down and goes back to sleep yeah and then after they leave a bookcase moves across the door and everything starts back up again oh okay and there was something too about 
he was doing some like writing, which is a thing in, in, in like the scrying world. It's a way to for spirits to like write for automatic writing. Yes, what it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was like talking about something where it's like it said it was going to leave, but then it was going to come back, and it was just really hard to decipher. And then things start to act up even more with the vomiting. He starts doing things like peeing on the floor and just these just bizarre things yeah. that that aren't his personality, right. right? And it always is worse at night. So then they move him to a Jesuit hospital. Mm-hmm. And at one point, they had three grown men holding this little boy down. Yeah. And he's tied down on top of that, but he's so violent that they're holding him down as right. well. Yeah. And he manages to slip his restraints, break a bed spring off the bottom of the mattress, and slash one of the priests from his shoulder to, his, oh, I think, his wow. elbow. And the priest never fully recovered from this. Like, he had problems in his arm for the rest of his life. Oh, my gosh. And he starts to have scratches on his family or on his body. And one point, one of the scratches spelled out the word Lewis. So his family is taking this as maybe we're supposed to go to St. Louis. They had family there. Maybe that, maybe the answer is there. Right. That's weird. So he starts to have an aversion to sacred objects. He's doing guttural sounds. He starts to speak in Latin. His bed is levitating and it's witnessed by multiple people. So it's not like it's just one person like, Oh, I swear this happened. Like the multiple people are witnessing his bed lift off the ground, like eight inches. It's not a little bit. And he starts, like, his body will be shaking. He's got the scratches appearing on his body. And yeah. they're getting more and more violent. He's he's losing weight. He's not eating. He's not sleeping. It's getting bad, right? Yeah. So they're now in St. Louis with their family. And this is the exorcist house. Yeah. So this is the house that is, is deemed the exorcist house. Okay. While he's there, one of the, I think it was while he was there. It might have been, he went back to his hometown for a little bit. And it might have been them. But... At one point, he's there, and they recommend a baptism because a baptism is a form of exorcism because okay. you're cleansing your spirit and your body, right? Okay. So they – and he agrees to it. Everyone's good with it. They want this to stop. Yeah. So he does everything he needs to do. He's going to go do the Catholic baptism because he was baptized as a Lutheran. So they're like, well, let's okay. do a Catholic baptism. And on the way there, mm-hmm. he has one of his fits. Mm-hmm. To the extent that his family nearly wrecks their car on the way there. They have to stop and pull over and turn around and go home. Oh, wow. Because, or no, they stop and pull over until he comes down. And then they force him to go. And they do, like, a quick version of the baptism. And he is, like, screaming the, the entire time. time. Yeah. And after that, it doesn't get better. It didn't help. Yeah. So they admit him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital, which is now the South City Hospital. And that was a... It was, like, run by monks. They're very serious. They're very secretive. A lot of things happened there. Okay. So now his scratches are elevating. They're spelling out things on a regular basis. At one point, there was reports that the word hell was scratched across his chest. The word evil was scratched, I think, on his, like, somewhere. I think on his back or his stomach or something. And a devil appeared on his leg. Oh. And... People are doing this and they're watching like we're, we are actively holding his hands down. He is tied to the bed. There's no way that he's doing this on his own. Right. And there's thing, been things that have come out since then where they've said like, oh, well, you know, they never actually checked under his nails to see if he was scratching himself. Mm-hmm. They never actually ch- did this, this, or that. And this was the 40s. So, so like, kind of skeptics. Right. So okay. there's still a lot of thought going around, but there's really no way to tell. But at one point, he breaks free, breaks the restraint, right? And he breaks the nose of Walter Halloran, who was one of the priests that was called in to assist. So this yeah. is, again, a 13-year-old boy. He was 13 for most of this, I think. It was The exorcism took four months in total. Yeah. And it was done in, on August 20th. So he would half of it happened when he was 13, half of it happened when he was 14. Okay, but got it. He, and like, I can't imagine 
what it would take for me to break somebody's nose, yeah. let alone a 13-year-old boy. Right. And then at one point, it is said that he called out. Like, they were they were going and going and going. They couldn't figure it out. They're trying mm-hmm. over and over again, multiple nights in a row. People are hearing him screaming out on the street because they, they're in the psychiatric ward of this hospital. Yeah. And they're just kind of writing it off. It's like, oh, it's, it's the crazy people hospital. Yeah. And... But he's he's doing this on a regular basis, and he's his body is breaking down. His priests' bodies are breaking down yeah. because of all of the fasting and all of the all of the things that they're doing. Right. Everyone is feeling it at this point. Yeah. And then at one point, he they'd kind of stopped for the night. He'd calmed down a little bit, and then he shoots up out of bed and says he has to say one word, one little word. Well, one big word, but he'll never say it. And it was not in his voice, and he fell back to the bed. Was and they have no idea what we're talking about. They, so what they're thinking is maybe it's the name because the demon was not giving up his yeah. name. And and then as they kept going another time and some more time has passed and now he has a night where he kind of sleeps peacefully and he wakes up and in his own voice is commanding that all the demons leave his body, that the devil himself get out of his body. Okay. And so they're like okay well he's he's clearly trying at one point and yeah. then it's like and then at that point it's like he wakes up for real mm-hmm. and they ask him what just happened yeah and he says that he was dreaming that an angel who they believe to be saint michael because he had a flaming sword yeah came down to help fight with him yeah and that he was fighting off the demon and at one uh, he was he like beat him back beat him back and then at one point he turned to roland and said dominus which is lord in Latin. yeah yeah and at that point, everything calmed down, and he was able to come to himself enough to cast things out, like to take control of his own yeah, body yeah. again. And that happened on August twentieth, nineteen forty nine. So, and it's that's interesting. So, you saying that, I'm like, oh, that's super creepy that I had that. Like, because I think I told you mm-hmm. whenever I was having all those demon dreams and mm-hmm. everything, like I don't know, twelve, thirteen years ago, that at one point I like woke up mm-hmm. saying, "In the name of Jesus, get away!" Mm-hmm. And so. I was, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> you were almost possessed. Yeah, I was almost possessed, but I wasn't. Yay. So it said that Roland went on to live a normal and well adjusted life after that. He was just completely himself after that point. Because he was able to cast it out. He finished school. He went to college. I looked at, I tried finding which college he went to. One thing that I read said he went to Georgetown University, but I couldn't find it again. And it was like somebody commenting on something about Mm -hmm. it. So it wasn't even like a published article. And then he worked as an engineer at NASA for 40 years. And then he even worked on the Apollo mission and... Um, retired from there, but he was always worried that people were going to find out who he was yeah. because he did not want to become like this laughing stock. Yeah, and like after the movie came out, yeah, and that they made made it very clear to everyone that wanted the rights to the movie and things like that that he wanted nothing to do with it. Right. But as an adult, he never admitted that he was possessed. As an adult, he said it didn't happen; that it was all concocted, and that he was just being a bad boy. Which I found really interesting compared to last week's yes. episode where he also said none of that was real. It was all concocted. Yes, that's what I was thinking too. Mm-hmm. But you know there's that quote that's like the, the gosh, what is it? It's the scariest thing the devil's done is make people believe that he wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that either it's something that happens... It would be interesting to like look this look at the statistics of everyone who's ever had an exorcism yeah. going back and saying if something actually happened or not. Right. Because I wonder if it's something that your mind does to protect itself. It might. Or if if you're so far gone in those moments that you really have no memory of that. Right. So to you it to you it was a blink of an eye and it was done. Yeah. 
so they never they they did not continue to practice practice Catholicism after this. Okay, but so no one called a priest when, when he was on his deathbed. Nobody called a priest. Okay, and a priest still showed up and gave him his last rites. What? How? Nobody knows. He just showed up. He just showed up, and like the person literally said, "We don't know, we don't know who told him to be here." Yeah, but he did help get Roland to heaven. Interesting, but that's not where the story stops. Oh, okay. So we talked about how. When demons leave, they look for another body right. to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the priests, it is rumored, urban legend, was never seen again after his exorcism. And it is believed, like some people will believe that he just was so scarred that yeah. he left the clergy and, and kept to himself. Yeah. But there is a monk who broke his vow of silence to come and talk about it. Yeah. And he said that there was a room that he went up to and he could hear screams coming out of it. Yeah. And he went to go open the door because it's a psychiatric ward. He needs to go, you know, help them. And they right. said, don't, don't go in there. Like, listen, listen at the door. Yeah. And he listened and he could hear what they were saying and hear that things were going on. He heard things being thrown around and they told him that it was the priest that had helped with the exorcism and that he had become possessed by the demon and they were never able to exorcise it. So he lived until his dying day in one of the psychiatric rooms of the Alexian Brothers Hospital. Interesting. Well, and see, that's... that's Because I watched The Exorcist 3, I don't know, a week or two ago, because mm-hmm. I was like, why not? Let's just watch it. Like, I heard a lot about it. Like, it was a good one. Mm-hmm. I heard The Exorcist 2 was kind of dumb, but The Exorcist 3 was pretty good. And in that, the, um, the priest that, in the first movie, threw himself out of a window and down a flight of stairs and supposedly died was actually in this psych ward at this mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. Um, and was possessed. Mm-hmm. So As the legend goes. That's interesting that that's, that's kind of what it did, and I'm wondering if it's, you know, it's based on true story, mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if Exorcist 3 was kind of based loosely on that too. But, but yeah, that's, it's interesting, and part of me is like, I kind of want to see the book. Mm-hmm. And I think the book is based on what actually happened. Yes. The, the book is more closely. And the book is nonfiction, right? I don't know. I'm going to look that up. We like to look things up here at The Monster in My Closet. It's a horror novel. Because they also didn't release the book in its entirety. It was released in pieces yeah. in like a local newspaper. Yeah. And it was the newspaper clippings that inspired the story. Interesting. See, I didn't know that either. That's so interesting. But yeah, that is the life of Roland Doe. Okay. And that's the history of exorcism. Like, that's one of the most well-known exorcisms. Um, Stop That's one of the most well-known exorcisms. Um, sort of. Sort of well-known because it people didn't really know who he was until he died. Until close to his death. Because he didn't want anyone to know while he was at NASA. And he didn't die until 2020. He was in his 80s. That's true. Surrounded by his wife, children, and grandchildren. And his perfectly well-adjusted life. And they they never knew that that happened. I think his family knew. Oh, okay. But if for no other reason than to keep anyone else from finding out. Yeah. Yeah. But that he never talked about it, always denied it. I wonder if there's actual, like, not novel stuff. Like... Actual nonfiction stuff mm-hmm. about it. There is like first-hand accounts. There is. There's, uh, its name is Thomas. Thomas something. Let me see if I can find it really quick. And he wrote it, but he was a skeptic, so he believed that 
Roland Doe had psychiatric issues that were not being handled properly. Okay. And that they just didn't, they didn't have what it took in the 1940s to properly diagnose him and get him help. But I don't understand, I don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know what would just all of a sudden he snaps out of it and is totally fine after that. After four months of living... Well, if he's delusional and he plays out those delusions and mm-hmm. being able to take control and cast out whatever it was, mm-hmm. then he could have believed, okay, it's done, I'm good, and never have issues again. But would it... How does that work with him then pretending it was that it never happened? I don't know about that. This is a test, Jen. This is a test. So tell test. me right now. It's a test. Okay. Psychiatric test. I don't know about that. I do know that delusions, that's the case. And also, like... And that time frame, that time period, they didn't believe in any type of traumatic dissociation or anything like that. Mm-hmm. In fact, they, like if you, and you don't have to read this because it's very, very dense, but the Body Keep score talks about traumatic memory mm-hmm. and how traumatic memory, you want to reintegrate it so that it's kind of just a memory, but sometimes people will block it mm-hmm. and they'll block it like years and years and years later they'll be like that didn't actually happen so i mean that's the thing it could have been such a traumatic experience for him that he truly doesn't remember it happening Mm -hmm. so it's it's fascinating and at the time in the 1940s they wouldn't have known that Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have known anything about dissociation or trauma they they just figured it was like shell shock Mm -hmm. kind of thing so it's quite interesting but but yeah yeah so that is uh, that is oh, our quick, exorcism episode. Quick history on exorcism, right there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, pop culture and kind of how that plays into pop culture. So next week we are going to have some guests. Hopefully. Hopefully, yes. Check. We'll check our messages after this. And see, <laughs> see what's happening. Well, so um, so next week my my mom and dad are going to come on, and they are. They, they have been ghost hunters. I don't know that they're active ghost hunters right now. Granted, if they get famous from this, they may start rivaling the Ghost Adventures crew. And that would be much more amusing. It'd be a better show, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so they're going to be on uh, next week talking about a house that was out in Copeland, Texas. Um, and I can attest, like, at the time that they were doing this, it was, it was very interesting. It was interesting when they would come home and tell me all these things. And I would always respond with, you better not bring it home. That's all I'm saying is don't bring it home. <laughs> so, so so, that's something to look forward to. But yeah, other than that, I think, I think that's it. Alrighty then. So if you guys have not already, please leave us a review. And on whatever platform you listen to, that helps us on every platform individually. If you leave reviews, it's a really great way for our podcast to be seen by more people. If you would like to connect with us, you have a couple different ways you can do that. You can follow us on Instagram over at the Monster in My Closet podcast, or you can join our private Facebook group, the Monster in My Closet podcast group on Facebook. <laughs> Just answer the questions. Answer the on questions. There. We'll let you in. You can chat with us on there. You can make posts of your own in there. Um, drop some suggestions. Whatever you want to do there. Oh, speaking of, my mom made a suggestion about a house in Georgetown. Um, that was like the Amityville Horror House. So we're going to have to talk to her about that. Yep. It's interesting. But Mm -hmm. anyway, sorry. Go ahead. And you can also email us, whether it is suggestions or your own stories, at themonsterinmyclosetpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to be able to read your stories on the podcast if you'll let us. So please submit those stories if you have them. And I think that's it. 
I do. I think that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think somebody actually left a comment on one of our videos. I don't know if that popped up on your notifications, but somebody, but it's like a, it's a private comment. It's not like a review. Yeah. It's just on the, on the specific episode, but I think it's somebody who knows you. So I was yes. going to let you respond to it. Yes. But we I saw that. It. That was very exciting. We love you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> So, and she gave us a good um, idea for Mm -hmm. another episode in the future. So, Mm -hmm. always looking for episode ideas. So, feel free to send them, guys. We are open to all of that fun stuff. We have a list that we love. We love adding things to. Yes, it's great. So, as always, always look out for that monster in your closet. It's the middle of the night. What gave you such a fright? What do you have to fear? What?